0: To the KBB Review Podcast, I'm your host Andy Davis, and this is episode 4 of season 6. Now, I've managed to find a few minutes here up in the loft in between torrential downpours to record this intro. Up until now, the pounding on the roof would have made it sound like I decided to do it during a drum solo. I do, however, have a stinking cold, which you can probably hear, so I apologise also for sounding like a railway station PA system. But despite all that, it's all worth sticking with because we've got a couple of features for you today, and they couldn't be more diverse. Firstly, we're looking into what help is available to you and anyone who works in the wider KBB industry if you fall on hard times. This is, unfortunately, depressingly relevant as we begin what could be a long period of economic hardship to which no one is immune. I'm talking to Sue Dean from the Furniture Makers Company, a charity that covers the vast majority of those that work in this sector. It's definitely worth a listen to because, as I say, it could happen to any of us. And if it's not you, it might be someone you know that you could help just by pointing them in the right direction. And then sometimes it's worth featuring a story on here just because it's really fun. So we have retailer Steve Root from Root's Kitchens, Bedrooms, Bathrooms in Faversham telling us how he set off on a quest to claim a little three metre by three metre square of a Corsican hillside for this industry. Trust me, it's a un, It has goats, hitchhiking, a record-breaking storm and a non-slip shower tray. But first... This goes live on Tuesday, November the 8th, it means we're now into single digits of days left to enter the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. Entries close at 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th, and as always it's totally free to enter. Now as you might imagine, a huge majority of our entries come in on that day, and so it's always a mad scramble of questions and generally going round in circles. My advice today is to not let that be you. Give yourself time, get it done, and get it done right. If you're trying to get hold of me at five to five to ask me whether or not you're allowed to do something or other, then it's guaranteed to stress us both out. So, for the sake of my blood pressure and yours, try and get them finished somewhere between now and then. Oh, and the most frequently asked question this year, can more than one person from the same company enter the design categories? And the answer is, yes, they can. The rule is that each person can only enter each category once, but you can have as many people from the same company as you like. All the awards info is at kbbreview.com forward slash rewards. Now, there may be times in all our lives where we may need a little help, so let's talk welfare and support for those in the KBB industry with Sue Dean, who is the welfare officer at the Furniture Makers Company. Hello, Sue. Hello, Andy. Now, let's start, Sue, with the Furniture Makers Company because some people might know you, some might not. So give us the 30-second outline of who you are and what you do.
1: Okay. The Furniture Makers Company is a charity uh, that recognises everyone that works in the furniture trade. We've been going over 100 years and and the main part that I'm dealing with is a charitable sector. So, it's the grant making. We also have a livery, which is for people uh, that can join as members uh, across the whole of the UK that get together and and celebrate and promote the furnishing trades. Uh, But my section really is about grant making and the charity part of the the
0: organisation that welfare bit is the bit I want to talk about today because in the history and the, the traditions of the of the company and the livery and the city of London and all the gowns and the funny handshakes and all that the history of it is absolutely fascinating but I think it probably distracts I think from the work that you're doing today in the sense that people you're trying to help don't necessarily think an organisation like yours is relevant to them Do you think that's fair
1: Oh, that's so, that's so right, Andy. Um, what happens is with the livery is there's a lot of history. There's, as you said, a lot of pageantry and, and pomp and ceremony around uh, things, which is quite right, which is part of what liveries are about. But I think people can get lost in that. I don't want people to get confused by that. We're very much about the here and now and what people, what workers are facing within the industry. And we're here to help people alleviate their distress at the moment. Well,
0: I mean, as you say, though, so much uncertainty, so many financial pressures we're here. About it all the time in the news, could be looking at two years' worth of recession. All this points towards lots of people needing help. So can you outline for us the main welfare support that you have? Because you've helped so many people.
1: That's right. There's a lot of pressures at the moment. We're hearing about, you know, three percent interest rise. We're looking at inflation of over ten percent and even higher, we believe. There are constraints on people's earnings, they're not keeping up it's not keeping up with inflation. We have a, a certain amount of unrest and unease and anxiety going on in, in the world at the moment in the UK. Okay, because of things, the cost of living crisis uh, that we are all facing. And people do talk about the perfect storm. It does certainly seem that way. There is also concerns about whether even the retired people are going to be getting their uh, triple lock pensions and, and welfare benefit increases next year. That is all under question. And we don't know the outcome of that yet. We will know, no doubt, in, in good time. So people are facing a lot of issues at the moment, uh, cost of living in particular. But they've also always had these issues around. We've had the kind of hardship issues that we're facing. We have had them for a long time, but maybe they're more affecting the working population now. It has traditionally been people on welfare benefits, single parent families, those people on low incomes that have always faced these issues. But now we're seeing people, sometimes two adult working people within the family providing for a family, but they are still now facing a financial hardship. And of course, with the interest rises, we are hearing some awful stories of people having to find not just a little bit more money every month, but hundreds of pounds extra every month just to meet their mortgage payments. So this is affecting a lot of people. It's a very broad spectrum of people that are being affected.
0: What you're saying to me here is, and I think this, this applies to everybody and anybody that finds themselves in some kind of hardship. And that might be you know, because they've always struggled with their income. But it could also be someone who's doing very well for themselves, but just gets made redundant loses loses their job and their life starts falling apart after that. If people come to you, how do you actually help them? Outline the kind of support that you could give them.
1: The kind of support we can give is a variety of things. The main thing we do is look at grants. So we're looking at people's financial situation. Uh, if they're on a low income or their outgoings are not meeting their income, then we will look at a hardship grant for that person, that individual. We look at the whole of the household income and then uh, make a decision based on that. The kinds of things we have been given recently is we've seen an increase in um, people that are on long-term sick. By that, I mean more than eight weeks. So these are significant illnesses such as, you know, cancer treatment, mental health disorders, hip replacements, that sort of thing, where they're unable to work for eight weeks or more and where their employers do not have solid kind of employment contracts that pay them through that period of illness. People that are reliant on statutory sick pay are looking at under £100 a month for that time that they're off sick. So as we know, financial distress does have a physical knock-on effect and it doesn't particularly aid their recovery to be worrying about money when they're off for that length of time. So we, we, we have seen an increase in grants for that particular group of people. People that are off for eight weeks or more and reliant on statutory sick pay. Now, I know self-employed people, for example, and there will be a lot of people in the the kitchen and bathroom trades that are self-employed. They don't even have that. So, yeah, we would certainly look into helping them if they are off sick. The other thing we are seeing, obviously, is how essential household repairs, particularly for people that own their own homes. If you have a landlord and most of those essential household repairs are down to landlord or local authority, if it's local authority. But for people that have a mortgage, then they're facing some some big bills uh, for essential maintenance. And people have been telling us that they've been using their savings, particularly over the COVID period, to bolster their their income during that time and have exhausted their savings. And so uh, they find they're in need for essential building maintenance. We also see quite a few people coming through with uh, asking for white goods. So when uh, an item such as a washing machine breaks down and they've exhausted their savings and they're on a low income, where do they go to buy a a new washing machine? Well, we don't want to encourage people to be getting into debt for those sort of things. Uh, We may be able to help with a grant. We have a supplier. That comes out and replaces items, uh, white goods. The other thing really is financial hardship, general financial hardship, which affects a lot of our people. We're seeing more and more people with some quite significant debts. Servicing those debts uh, makes a big impact on their outgoings every month, and sometimes that is a crucial thing. Uh, the debts that you thought you may have been able to weather when you took those debts out become a crisis situation when you become redundant or your earnings are reduced or Other expenditure goes up, such as gas, electricity and mortgages. And that's something that we're seeing more and more of currently. So they're the main things. We also see sometimes, um, sadly, we do have a few funerals every year, whether that's the individual working in the trade that has passed away or it's their Next of kin that has passed away and they need help, they've come to us because their partner has passed away or their parent and we've helped out a few of those people. So that gives you an idea of they're probably the bulk of the main bulk of what we consider for grants. And there are many other situations.
0: What comes across very strongly here is that everyone's story is different, so I think anyone who who might even be thinking about it, it's always worth a conversation, I think is probably what's coming across very strongly here. that There isn't a set of rules, boxes to tick before you can even get to talk to you, it's always worth a conversation, no matter who you are or whatever your circumstances are.
1: Yeah, I would encourage people to contact me and have that conversation because they are a very unique situations, everyone's different, there I can I can put these things into broad boxes for grants, but actually everyone's situation is different and unique. There may be other help available. I've spoken about grants, but the other part of my role is to signpost people to other services, other support services and grant makers that they can approach. So even if we can't help with a grant for whatever reason, then I can signpost to another one. Or organisation that can help.
0: That leads me on very nicely to the other thing I wanted to ask you about which is the mental health support that you do give people. Yes you can give people cash when they need it and that's obviously a big contributor to people's mental health deterioration but they can come to you for mental health advice via a new service that you're operating. Tell me a bit about that.
1: We heard from many, many people, particularly in HR companies across the furniture trade, saying they had people knocking on their office doors, wanting to share information about their, their lives outside of the workplace that was very troubling uh, and mental health problems arising from uh, situations outside of the workplace very often. And as a response to that and a response to COVID and the things we were hearing from people that are coming to us asking for grants, we looked into commissioning a service which we have now done, uh, an exciting new service in, in partnership with Shout. Which is an organization that uh, the princes were involved in, Princess William and Harry were involved in in the early days to encourage people to talk about their mental health issues. So, this is a text service, so you can contact them by text. So, uh, you're not actually speaking to someone, you're texting with someone. So, you're having a conversation via text, which has been very successful. It's something that you can do while you're sitting on a train or at home. No one need know who you're texting and what you're. What you're going through over the text. It's anonymous, it's confidential, and it's a professional service monitored by f- professional counsellors. And it's something that which I'll give you details of later about, but we're quite excited to be launching this. We have just launched. It's in the early days at the moment. So it's for people that are feeling low, feeling overwhelmed with their situation, feeling anxious, depressed. It's a 24 hours a day, seven days a week service, and it's confidential and free. And we're, we're keen that people can and reach out to people um, outside of the workplace for help when they need it. The kind of situations they deal with are relationships, issues, depression, mental health, debt, financial hardship, um, housing, um, all those kind of crisis situations. And sometimes they're quite complex, intertwined, Uh, complex situations. And what the counsellor would do is go through your situation with you via text and explore what's happening and and help you to find some resolution. They're not there to tell you what to do. They're there to help you find your own solutions to those issues.
0: I mean, that's a great service. And, you know, you combine that with the financial stuff that you're doing as well. You're doing an awful lot of, for an awful lot of people. But I think biggest challenge you probably have is that not enough people know that you're there. I mean, many in the KBB industry, for example, are probably totally unaware that there is a charity that covers it in this way.
1: That, that is an issue and it, it came to light particularly during COVID when I was getting a lot of applications from self-employed kitchen and bathroom fitters and so on that contracted in to do that kind of work and I know there are a lot of people that are self-employed in this trade where there are companies that have HR departments they're pretty good at getting the information out having posters in restrooms and so on giving leaflets to employees but when you've got the one man band situation self-employed person it, it's more likely they've never heard of us so it's great that you've asked me to do this podcast today to get the message out to people
0: yeah and I guess if you are in an HR department and they want to have a talk with you as well that you're always you're always there for that conversation too
1: oh absolutely we get lots of HR people emailing me or phoning me uh, just running through a situation often without giving the client's name give me a kind of profile of what's going on and I'll, I'll give them some advice and let them know whether it's worth putting an application in we have an application form which is quite detailed we do have to go into quite a lot of detail with people their situation and we do do ask for evidence that they work in the trade so there are various things we have to do uh, which is all part of the charity grant making um, uh, due process uh, we, we do that as quickly as we can and we can move things very quickly for example we often get applications in that has all the paperwork involved by email and we can get an agreement and payment within a day if it's if it's it, we can be that fast
0: Right, I suppose one of the things we need to deal with is the use of the word furniture because you know you're the furniture makers company and people might be out there thinking well I'm not part of the furniture side of this, I mean I do flooring or I do lighting or I do sanitary wear, whatever it is, but I suppose again it's always worth that conversation because somewhere in there you want to help people, you're not trying to catch them out. There might be furniture somewhere in your job that does make you eligible.
1: Absolutely yes, if, if you're unsure just have that conversation with me and we can, we can explore it. I might give you a quick answer, I might have to go away and come back with the answer. There are often grey areas. I mean, furnishings, soft furnishings is something we cover as well. Fabric uh, in uh, textiles uh, dealt with furniture, we, we would cover it as well. Flooring, absolutely, we cover that too. So I would encourage people to, to have that conversation with you. If you're not sure, just ask.
0: And, and even if they're not, I'm sure you can point them in the right direction of, of where they might be.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's part of my role. It's not just to hand out the money. It's also to signpost people to other organisations, other charities that can provide grants. So if, if it's not fitting out, criteria for whatever reason then I can look into uh, findings sourcing another charity maybe another livery uh, that, that does cover that trade.
0: I mean this is all fantastic stuff Sue and I'm sure it's opened an awful lot of people's eyes so let's let's put this to bed here with how we actually get in touch with you if someone needs more information or wants to talk to you where do they go?
1: Okay well you could email me directly and I'll give you my email it's sue at furnituremakers.org.uk and you can phone me Directly is fine on 07366 568 458. The general website for the Furniture Makers Company is furnituremakers.org.uk. And on that website, you will find everything. If you look at the welfare, you'll find the application forms and so on that you can download and fill in. If you need printed application forms, I can post them out to you. Just phone me or email me and I will get them out to you if you give me your details. The Mental Health Support Text Service 85258. So to text 85258 and text the word COMFORT. And if you text the word comfort, all that does is identify that you work within the furniture trade and then the people at the end know you're in the trade, but they know nothing else about you. I don't know about you. I don't know where you are, what you're doing. It's just something that you can do. As I say, it's a confidential and anonymous service.
0: Well, look, I'll put all that information in the episode description so you don't have to start scribbling it down now if you're listening. Uh, just go to the episode description and it'll all be in there. Sue, thank you so much. As always, this is so important, but given everything that's going on, it's absolutely vital that there's organisations out there, people like you out there doing what you do. So thank you again, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for
1: asking me, Andy. It's has been question.
0: Okay, joining me down the line, as promised, is our roving reporter, Steve Root, from Root's Kitchens Bedrooms Bathrooms in Faversham there, near Canterbury, beautiful part of the world. Hello, Steve. Hello, Andrew. How are you today, sir? I am very,
2: very well, working from home today, looking at the rain outside the window.
0: It is miserable out here. I've got rain on the roof here up in the lot, so you might be able to hear it. Now, you've been on here before, Steve, and I like like to think of you as the Johnny Ball of KBB retailers.
2: (laughs) You're too kind.
0: (laughs) You make some great videos explaining how lots of stuff works and lots of other useful stuff, which I really recommend. So it's always good to see what your latest sort of scheme is. And I've got you on here today... Just to tell us a really fun story, really, about an expedition you've made. That's the best way of describing it, I guess. But before we get into the details of that, I think we need to start with you because I think we need to know about your love of maps and navigation because that's the lead into all of this, isn't it? It's not a kitchen-related thing. Well,
2: it is and it isn't. So, obviously, we're a small business, small retailer. We go out to customers' homes that are in fairly remote places. And if you're trying to get there with just a postcode, we often find the postcode isn't enough to get to the right house. I mean, it sometimes gets you to a street, but some of our customers can be off tracks down, you know, in old farm buildings and things. So it's not brilliant. And a couple of years ago, I discovered this app called What3Words. I didn't make it, obviously. Uh, made by a company in London. They divided the whole planet up into three metre by three metre squares And they've given each one of those squares a unique address in three random words. So the words have no meaning, but they're used as identifiers. And the clever thing about that is that you can easily convey to somebody three words to give a location. And their app is free, so you can use it on your mobile phone. And when you open it, it will tell you exactly where you are as three words. And we've been using that for the last two or three years on customers' installation packs so that the fitters know where to go to the correct house, no matter if it's down a track or anywhere else. And then I happened to notice that our loading bay at Roots is Bastel Random Kitchen. I thought, that's quite fun. And then I got to thinking, I wonder if there's actually a square called Kitchens, Bedrooms, Bathrooms. And there is. And that's on a mountainside in Corsica. So I thought, well, (laughs) outside of work, I'm a civilian instructor for the Royal Air Force Air Cadets. And one of the subjects I teach and I love doing is navigation. So this mountainside in Corsica kept calling me for the last two years through the uh, lockdown, and I decided to go off on a seven-day solo expedition to go and climb that mountain and get to that square.
0: I mean, it is absolutely fascinating. Presumably you're the kind of guy you could probably get there just using the stars or something. <laughs> Not quite that, but uh,
2: yeah, navigation using maps is, is second nature. I've been doing it for, for a long, long time now, and I enjoy it. It's, I like finding interesting things on maps and going off to find them wherever they are.
0: I am familiar with what three words is a genuinely very useful thing. I mean, you use it to point installers at hard-to-find rural locations, as you say. And I know the emergency services have started to use it a lot too, haven't they? They do. So if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, you can just tell them where you are. I've used it for things like if you're on a beach and you're trying to tell your friend where you are on the beach or in a park or something, you can just give them the square. And, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with it too. That's exactly
2: what it's meant for, and it's a brilliant idea. It's, it's, it's very well executed, It's yeah, and it just works. I mean, I've used it when I broke down once and I had to call the AA, and I gave them my address, my location via what three words, and it was perfect because the patrol knew exactly where to come to uh, on the right side of the dual carriageway, so it's perfect.
0: Okay, so you decided to make this trek to Corsica, to sort of stake the claim, to put your flag in the ground of the square that is, kitchens, bedrooms, bathrooms. That's the what three words that attach it is.
2: Exactly, because my business is Roots, kitchens, bedrooms, bathrooms. So if I stand on that square, that's Roots, kitchens, bedrooms, bathrooms. It seemed like a very fun, silly thing to do.
0: That's it, because it was there. It's the oldest reason to go somewhere in the book, isn't it? You also decided to raise some money for charity through this trek. Give us a bit, a bit of a build up for the planning of it. So, well, it, it, I planned it for about two years
2: uh, because it was uh, I was going to do it anyway because it was fun. But I thought this is quite a big thing to do. So maybe I could raise a few pounds for charity. Being what Three Words inspired, I went for three charities. The first one was Map Action. So Map Action are a charity that do mapping services for disaster zones. So if the Red Cross and Médecins Sans Frontières turn up somewhere and start organising aid, knowing what's happened in the area and where you can send noise is really important. Map Action are another charity that go there and they provide that service for everyone. So you never see them on the TV, but the, the information behind it is fundamental to, to effective use of resources in a disaster area. And then I picked two charities that are close to home, personal ones that I like. Uh, one is called M- uh, Mankind Initiative. That's a, a charity that run a phone line for male victims of domestic violence. And Oasis, uh, which is uh, a charity that look after victims of domestic violence in East Kent. They have a refuge and they provide other services. So I thought three charities, three good charities for the What Three Words Inspired Adventure seems like a a fun thing to do. So that's what I did.
0: You've made videos of this, so I do recommend people go and see this because you've made some fantastic videos, including going down to your, fortunately, local Corsican restaurant to ask some language advice.
2: Yes, because um yeah, so the 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 town I was going to, the capital of Corsica. So I, I speak a little bit of French from school, but it, it's not brilliant, but it, it gets me through. And uh, yeah, I wanted to to find out how to say a jack a jacko a jacksio, um, and then of course there's there's actually two ways of saying it. So uh, Eric uh, was explaining to me. Eric is from Corsica. He runs a little cafe in Favisham, and he was explaining to me to the two ways of saying it. And then at the end, he threw in the fact that there's an Italian way of saying it as well, which. It was good fun.
0: <laughs> Just to confuse everybody. Okay, so where did you fly to? Is that where you, you flew straight to? Uh,
2: I flew, a... f- flew to Ajaxo, so it was a seven-day trip. So it was a day to fly there because I had to fly through Paris because of the, the routing of the planes. A day to travel to the mountain, and it gave me three days to climb the mountain because if you're going into the mountains, although this particular one isn't very high, you can't be certain of the weather. And especially going so far, I wanted to have – Multiple chances to do it if the weather was bad, so I set myself three days uh, and then of course two days coming back so a seven, seven day trip was was all I could afford because
0: you were camping weren 't you?
2: I was camping yeah, I took the tent on the in, in my rucksack everything went in my rucksack, seventeen kilos, tent, stove, all my clothes, and all the YouTube equipment as well to to film while I was doing it for fun and it should have been really straightforward. it should have been a nice, simple you know sunny Mediterranean country, drive up the coasts. Should have been.
0: Well, yes. Speaking of the weather.
2: Well, so day two. So I just packed away my tent after the first night near the airport, and I checked the weather forecast, and I made a joke on LinkedIn about what's the French for raining cats and dogs, because the forecast was was heavy rain uh, just for that day. So I got in the car, and then, well, then it was just the biggest storm I think I've ever seen. Uh, it turns out it was the biggest storm I've ever seen. Uh, it's actually got a name. It's called a derecho. I've since discovered winds of 200 kilometers per hour it's got its own wikipedia page now it just it tore through the islands it was epic none of which i realized because at the time i'd gone into the supermarket to buy supplies and it was heavy rain and i got back in the car and i carried on driving up up the western coast and there was trees all down over the road and there were rocks on the road and there was cars with missing windscreens but everybody was out clearing it and i thought oh they must be very organized this must happen quite often until the point i broke down so i got a puncture and i had the temporary puncture repair kit in the high car so i used that and got another four 400 meters further. uh, And then it failed again. So then I I went to use my phone and there was no phone signal. And it got more interesting from then. So from not having a phone signal and being broken down on the side of this road, I hitchhiked for the first time ever. So I managed to hitchhike back to the town. And I got to the town and they said uh, there was a garage there, which is the only garage in that side of the country, apparently. But he had no power, so couldn't help me. So I then had to try and find somewhere to stay during the night. I got directed to tourist information because they're the people that help tourists that are in distress. And when I got there, there was loads of ambulances and fire engines and the gendarme all all around. And the tourist office manager said that there's no communications in or out of the area because of the storm. And it was a major disaster zone, which um, I hadn't realized at the time. Um, and then getting back, discovering I think seven people died that day in across Corsica from the from the winds. It was it was a big event, and there was me just sort of like with my backpack, or well, my backpack was still in the car. I'd just taken the day sack to, down to the town to try and get help, trying to figure out how to get myself rescued.
0: Did you not think, Steve, at any point that somebody was trying to tell you something?
2: <laughs> yes, I should have renamed my business uh, Roots Bastle Random Kitchen from yeah. day one. That would have solved a lot of things. It was an experience. I learned quite a lot from it. I, I learned how to hitchhike, so so that was fun. And I learned a, a lot of people will help you when you're in trouble. Germans helped me. Some a French couple, a Spanish uh, Spanish couple picked me up when I was carrying a repaired tire. So, so what happened is when the power came back on in Porto, where I'd got stranded, it turned out the garage didn't have a tow truck, so they couldn't come and get me, and I still couldn't phone to get help to get like the insurance company to come and pick up the car and get me there. So he lent me a jack and uh, and a wheel wrench, and then I hitchhiked back to my car, took the tire off, hitchhiked back with my tire to the garage. <laughs> He fixed it in 10 minutes and then I, I hitchhiked back to carrying the tire in, in this in this car, in this banished couple car, uh, all the way back to my car for it to be repaired.
0: So every time you met somebody from Germany or France, whatever it was, were you trying to explain what three words to them in your pigeon German or pigeon French?
2: Funny enough, I did. Yes, none of them had really heard of it, so I, I was showing them. Yeah, I was showing them on my phone how it worked and things. I don't think it's so, so common over in those other countries. or certainly, for the travellers I was meeting, they hadn't
0: heard of it. Okay, so let's fast forward here. You finally make it to the the mountain. I
2: did. Yes, so I got the car repaired. I got to the campsite, and then I started started climbing. So I planned this route and. Planning routes is, is, is never easy such. You've got the map, so you know that there are trackways that are marked that you hope are still going to be there. The year before, I'd spoken to a, to a local uh, Airbnb owner who knew the mountains and said that, yeah, last time she was there, which was years ago, tracks were passable, so that was fine. A lot of goats on those mountains, and most of them were goat paths. Yeah, so I set off following the goat paths, started with some really big goat paths, and then they got smaller, must be for little goats. Uh, and then the, the footpaths vanished into this really dense thicket of woodland. So I forced my way through, trying to get there and it got too thick it was taking me way too long to get through the woods so uh, i didn't quite make it unfortunately oh. all that way i got 1400 meters away according to the what three words app so what three words has a compass on it so it tells you it points an arrow to where you can go in a straight line and tells you how far away you are and that was 1400 meters
0: what was the three words for where you got Oh, I, I can't
2: actually remember those three words. I have got them. But I did save them because they're, they're on the YouTube videos. It was very disappointing. I'd gone a long way to try and get there. And this was, I, so I managed to climb on day two. So I'd lost a day and a half because of the, the breakdown. And I climbed on day two, but because I didn't actually get to the previous campsite until midnight the night before, and there was no power there. So I had no, no way of charging anything. Um, I did did day two and i'd used all of my batteries by the time it came down and i was exhausted so although i could have tried to go up the other side of the mountain on day three there was a second route i could try it was a bit longer you got to be safe if you're on the mountains especially when you're on your own so yeah i I made the decision that actually uh, i've gone far enough this time the big question is should i do it again
0: this is it does captain ahab have to have his whale <laughs> um, i have this vision now that there's a goat living on kitchens bedrooms and bathrooms on this mountain and he's just he does not want to give it up. well actually
2: now everybody knows that i've had this idea and i've done it should i be worried that someone else out there with a business called kitchens bedrooms bathrooms is going to go and try and get to that spot before me have i, have I set down a gauntlet or oh, the other ones kitchens bathrooms bedrooms i don't know where that is i haven't looked is that accessible <laughs>
0: Well, you know what? It's funny you should say that, Steve, because I did look up a few alternatives, right, for anyone wanting to take up this mantle, right? So you went to Kitchens, Bedrooms, Bathrooms, which is in Corsica, but Kitchen, Bedroom, Bathroom, the singular, Kitchen, Bedroom, Bathroom is near Little Rock in Arkansas. Oh, OK, that sounds that sounds reachable.
2: I, I don't know too much about America. I guess as long as you're not on an airbase or secret military installation, you could probably reach that.
0: Well, this is it. So Little Rock is where Bill Clinton is from. And Kitchens, Bathrooms, Installer, Oh yeah, is just off the coast of Nassau in the Bahamas, which oh. seems quite appropriate considering how much money they're probably earning right now.
2: Well, and um, yeah, I could hire a boat, couldn't I?
0: Yeah, kitchen bathroom podcast is near Kangaroo Island in the Western Territories of Australia, which is rather brilliant for that.
2: I think I think you need to go and do an outside broadcast. Book your flights.
0: <laughs> and my favourite is annoying appliance shortages. Is fittingly in the middle of nowhere in the Algerian desert.
2: No, that's hilarious.
0: <laughs> So, do any of them take your fancy?
2: Well, uh, it's, the Kangaroo Island sounds quite nice. My sister lives in Australia. Maybe I need an excuse to go there. Do you think I could count that as a work expense? <laughs> uh,
0: I think some kind of uh, a recce needs to be organised for us to I really so. evaluate whether it's something we should be pursuing. So, we'll, we'll organise some kind of a trip for that.
2: I will say, actually, I did pay for all of this trip myself personally. um And all of the money that was donated has gone directly to those three charities. And I checked yesterday because uh, there's still some donations coming in, which is amazing. £2,700, which is absolutely That's amazing. Fantastic. And if anybody is feeling generous, uh, roots.uk slash donate takes you to the Charities Trust website. They're handing the donations and they split 100% plus gift aid three ways automatically. So every penny has gone to those three good causes.
0: There is a fantastic moment in the videos you've done where SenseTech is one of your sponsors, aren't they? That's right, yes. <laughs> On top of this Corsican mountain, after all of this adventure, you are explaining it, what, anti-slip, what anti-slip means.
2: Well, it's, yeah, so obviously um, I've been doing these YouTube videos because I enjoy doing them. And we, we learned about the SenseTech anti-slip shower tray last year. And I think it's, it's a really interesting product, really clever. I couldn't believe that you could get a patent on a shower tray anti-slip because I thought, surely we know everything about it. So I did some training with Chris from SenseDeck. Um We started, we became a retailer of them. And on my list of videos I wanted to create was a video on what he taught me about anti-slip shower trays. Anyway, I persuaded them that if they give lots and lots of money, I'll take a shower tray up the mountain, which is exactly what I did because they gave money. So I sort of talked myself into that one. It was really fun though.
0: Again, that goat would have been looking at you thinking, what is this strange British man doing now?
2: <laughs> yes, I'm sure they were.
0: <laughs> very, very strange. Look, Steve, thank you so much for telling the story. It's such a brilliant idea and you know what it's only spoiled by the fact that i wish i'd thought of it first
2: well sorry you got there first maybe there'll there'll be other ideas how you with maps maybe if you go for for a walk someday i could teach you how to how to do compass bearings
0: well, I can use maps in the sense that I have it on my phone and it'll tell me where the nearest pub is. But if you put a compass in my hand or whatever, I just i mean, I'd be the kind of person who after half an hour, I'd have been stripped to the waist eating that goat, having lost all sense of where, where I was and what was happening.
2: I'll be very honest. I very rarely use a compass except when I'm teaching. Most of the time with a map, you can do a thing called orientation where you, you work out where the things are around you just as a visual reference. And you can use the, the landmarks as cues. Um, using compasses generally is when we're in fog or cloud or, or really uncertain about which path we need to be taking.
0: And is there a bus stop nearby? <laughs> uh, next to a pub, almost always. Perfect. That's, that <laughs> sounds good enough to me. Thanks very much, Steve. I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on again. That was Steve Root giving it some of his best Michael Palin. A great story. Really recommend going and watching his videos on this trip as you really get an idea of just how bad that storm was. I'll put the YouTube link in the episode description. I will also put all the contact details for Sue Dean and the furniture makers company in there too. They're doing such essential work helping people in this industry when they're at the most desperate. So it's so important to make more people aware of what they do. And don't forget, entries for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023 close at 5pm on Thursday, November the 17th. It's totally free to enter and you can find all the info you need at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. I'm off to blow my nose. See you next time.